Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Survey studies show that the vast majority of adults have watched porn before. So odds are you've probably seen some porn. But have you ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes in one of those videos? I mean, how is porn itself actually produced? The truth is that there's so much more that goes into it that you can possibly imagine. I often liken watching a porn video to watching a cooking show. In both cases, you're just seeing a few snippets or a highlight reel of what actually happened. So let's lift the curtain and talk about what a porn production really looks like from beginning to end. In today's show, I'm going to interview a porn director about where she gets her ideas about what kinds of films to make in the first place. All of the work and conversations that happen long before people ever strip down and start having sex. What it's like to be on a porn set and how long it takes to film a scene, as well as what happens after filming ends. I am joined once again by Paulita Papel, a Spanish filmmaker and feminist pornographer. After studying comparative literature in Berlin, she worked both in front of and behind the camera. She is the founder of Lustery, a platform dedicated to the sex lives of real-life couples from around the world. She is the co-director of Hard Work, a hardcore film studio creating cinematic and tailored gangbangs. She also co-organizes and curates the Porn Film Festival Berlin. Paulita was a guest on the previous episode, where we talked all about ethical and feminist porn. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, be sure to check it out. This is going to be an amazing and very eye-opening conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. Become a certified sex educator, counselor, or therapist with the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes. MSTI offers 20 certification options in areas including medical sexology, kink, neurodiversity, and LGBTQIA affirmative therapy. They also offer a PhD program in clinical sexology that can be completed in two years and meets all ASEC certification requirements. All programs can be completed 100% online and are flexible and customizable to fit your schedule. You can take live courses the third weekend of each month and choose from over 300 archive workshops taught by renowned experts in the field. For more information, visit ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. That's ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. Okay, Paulita, let's talk about what it's like to be behind the camera on an adult film set. So let's go through this step by step. When you're going to do a new film, where does that even begin? So is that the porn company saying to you, hey, we need a new threesome video. Do you want to make one for the website? Or is that you as the director saying, hey, I have this great idea or a new vision for a film that I really want to do? You know, what's the inception? What What's the typical starting point behind the films that you make? So for me, because my focus is on creating scenarios that are based on performers' preferences and fantasies, the way it would go in, in my sets is that we search for people that really want to work with us. Like that is our number one rule. Like we want people that have seen our films already. They've seen like the aesthetics and the kind of films that we create. And they're like, oh, this feels like a company that I'd like to work with. And then, I mean, either we reach out to some people or people reach out to us. Our casting process starts like this. We send them a very long checklist that goes from, I mean, starting obviously with performer name, gender and sexual orientation as performer and so on. 
but then a, a long list on sexual activities, starting from kissing all the way over to anal and humiliation and BDSM stuff, right? And they tell us how much experience they have doing that specific action and how much would they like to do that specific thing in the context of the shoot. And then we also ask them about film references they like, any fantasies, obviously any boundaries and so on and so forth. And then I look at this checklist with my partner, Rod Weiler. We always co-create the films together. And we start brainstorming about like, okay, what kind of format um, you kind of concept would fit this specific performer. And we always create group scenarios, right? So we focus on one performer and then find the right constellation of other performers together that where we think this also fits the whole idea. So then basically we pitch concepts to the performers. We're like, okay, what about? <laughs> and then the performers tell us, yes, this sounds like something that I really would like to do. When are we shooting? <laughs> or they go like, not sure that that's really my thing. I might have, you know, no, we might not be on the same page. And then we discuss it until we find an idea, a concept, a format where they feel excited about shooting it. And then performers always have the last word, of course, on their co-performers and on anything that's happening. And I think it's maybe important to establish that this checklist that we give is not like a contract where we afterwards go like, oh, you said you like anal, so now we're expecting anal today. For us, it's really way more important that the chemistry and the flow between the performers is good and feels authentic and yeah, unrealistic and everything. So we let them do whatever they feel on the day. So basically, I mean, it's a long process, actually. Basically, we send this checklist, check the concept of the film, agree, search the co-performers. We work with a small uh, film crew. I say small compared to film, but maybe, you know, I, th I would say like in the bigger in part of the bigger, comparing to the industry standard, we have costume designer, art department, makeup, runners, intimacy coordinator, you know, camera, light, all of sound, of course. And then we gather all these people together and we, the intimacy coordinator has a call with each of the performers to double check within, once again, like boundaries and feelings and needs and, and preferences and all for the shoot. And then we come to the day of the shoot and then we meet and we have what we call the performer stock. So in this performer talks, all of the performers sit together and it depends a bit on the scene, but we definitely go over like, how are we feeling today <laughs> to like all of the boundaries. We, we sometimes do body mapping, which is basically we go from, from hair, head to toes saying like, how am I feeling today? How, how can you grab me? What can you do? So for example, if I would do it right now to you, I'll be like, okay, you can grab my hair. You can pull, you can touch my face. You can put your fingers in my mouth. You can uh, choke me, but I don't want to pass out. I have a, you know, my, my arm is hurting because I hit myself. So maybe don't grab me here too hard. But other than that, grab me all over hard. Um, I mean, to lick, you know, and I would go all the way and, and say everything. And then we let the performers talk to each other, make sure that they understood. And a very important thing is establishing also like how is the communication going to be during the shoot, right? So it's not like we talk about it and then that's it. Then we shut up and go into the scene. It's like we encourage ongoing communication throughout the scene. So depending on what kind of scene it is, of course, it will be maybe different communication. You can, it can be very verbal or it can be, you know, more non-verbal, but we definitely do check-ins and encourage them to do check-ins with each other to make sure that everything that's happening is pleasurable and, um, you know, and fun. <laughs> so there's a heck of a lot of communication that happens here. 
but it sounds like for your approach, it really kind of starts with the performers and making sure that they're getting what they want and that everything is comfortable for them. And I have to imagine that that's not necessarily how a lot of other porn is filmed or made, you know, and it hasn't always prioritized like what it is that the individuals want to do or what it is that they want to put out into the world. You know, I'm thinking about kind of like the history of porn because this this is something I teach about in my human sexuality courses. And like in the United States in the 1960s and 70s, you'd have porn directors who would just be like, driving around Los Angeles and, you know, saying, hey, you want to be in a film? You know, it was just kind of like literally pulling people off the streets because they just knew they needed to make porn. And, it, you know, it wasn't really about these people or what they wanted to do or anything like that. It was just about, we have to get bodies on camera. So, you know, it's been such an interesting evolution and kind of like how porn has gone over time, where now I think the focus, the conversation is often much more on what is it that we're putting on screen and is it meeting the needs of the performers themselves, right? Well, I would argue that a big reason why many productions don't put the performers' preferences on top is because the porn industry is so stigmatized and politically and economically discriminated against that it is hard, actually, to create a sustainable business doing porn. You know, we don't have means, we have very limited means of distribution. It doesn't feel like that because you're like, oh, porn is everywhere. But it's like, no, actually, we cannot, we can, I cannot do Google ads. I cannot uh, make any kind of advertising anywhere. I cannot sell my films to all broadcasters and so on and so forth. We are very limited in the ways of distribution and where we can put the porn and how we can do a profit. Therefore, you'll have a lot of companies that are like trying to maximize profit and they they find something that works for them, right? And if that is that is like triple anal, then they'll be producing a lot of triple anal shoots and, you know, they'll have to find people that are into triple anal and, you know, they're not that many. So, of course, it's going to create a problem at the end of the day, if you know what I mean. But I, <laughs> The triple anal problem, yep. <laughs> the triple anal problem, <laughs> yeah. You know, the one we have, we all have talked about. No, but, um, you know, but that is something that I think it's important to mention when we're talking, because it feels like when we talk about the porn that is being created, it feels like all oh, these evil porn producers that, you know, they just want, they just want their profit and they're just, they just do whatever they want, not caring about performance, which is, you know, in part true. <laughs> but there is a systemic reason behind that as well. Like we are not providing the industry with opportunities to thrive and to create diverse and different content. I think, you know, the best thing that has happened in a way to the industry is the rise of platforms uh, where content creators can sell their content directly to people because then, you know, that has definitely showed us that there's so much more diversity that can also find an audience. You know, and I think that has brought in the minds of certain producers being like, oh, okay, I thought this sells, this doesn't sell. But there's way more to that, <laughs> obviously. There's way more to sexuality that this works, this doesn't work. There's going to be a lot of different preferences and likings. But the possibilities that we have of monetizing content, they're so limited. And again, we have so many challenges. We face so many problems in order to put up a platform or a business that these constraints are having an impact in the kind of porn that is being produced. Yeah, so many important points there, you know, that sometimes, oftentimes porn is reverse engineered, you know, starting with this is the sex act that we need to show so we need to find the people who can do that because that's the kind of porn that is profitable. Now, the bigger conversation here is, you know, 
I've said this on the show many times before, everybody thinks that sex sells and that it's an easy sell, but it's not. It's actually a really fucking hard sell. Even if you're in sex education, you know, anything having to do with sex, it is hard to monetize that because you are limited in terms of where you can advertise and how you get people to to know about the work that you're doing. And so, you know, I think that's one of the challenges with the rise of ethical porn is how do you get people to know that this is even out there when you can't advertise it through traditional means. So it's harder to make a living at porn than I think most people would think. I mean, for every story you read about OnlyFans and, you know, this person went on and now they're making six figures a month. Like, yes, that does happen for some people, but that's not the norm. Like, that's not the typical situation. It is really hard to make a living when sex is what you're selling. Now, let's go back to the filming stuff that we were talking about. So you talked a lot about the role of communication and, you know, how it's giving people what they want. So when it comes to actually, like, filming a scene, is this all, like, pre-choreographed in advance, like we're going to start with kissing and then we're going to move on to, you know, stripping clothes off and then it's going to start with this sex act and then that one. Or does it happen more organically? So is it just kind of like you've established the boundaries and it's like, all right, now go, you do your thing. How does that work? So in our sets, we try to have it as organically as possible. However, I have to say it's been a journey. I've been learning, obviously you learn so much by doing things. Uh, and I've come to realize that sometimes a scene can develop more organically and feel more authentic and, they, and the performers can let themselves go more easily if you do have a very clear frame. That does not mean a choreography. So we never do a choreography as, as you were saying, like, okay, first this, then this, and this. Then, then put your right leg up here and then your left mm-hmm. arm over there, you know? <laughs> uh, we, nev- we never do that. But what we do is, so first, the first frame I would say is boundaries, clearly like this is off limits. Okay, then it's like, okay, what, what is on the table? And then we kind of delimit the space. So it's like, okay, this is what we have. What do we have here? We have a sofa, we have a table. So what about we start in the sofa? And then what I like to call it is like we present them with menus. So it's like, okay, what about here could be, it's like, there could be kissing, there could be this, there could be this, there could be that, there could be that. But it's not like it must be, um, it's like, these are options. And sometimes, you know, if we, depending on what we have, okay, this table, what can we do with this table? We might be on top, you could be here. And we go through positions, but not as in like, you have to then go through this position. It's like, these are all options that you have that you can fall back to if you don't know where to go. Specifically in groups, in sometimes it gets messy because it's so many people, so many, you know, genitals and arms and everything. And <laughs> people are like, where are we doing? <laughs> where are we going now? Who am I? <laughs> so it, it's good. What I've learned, like at the beginning when we started doing hard work, we were like being like, just do whatever you want. No, you know, we gave absolutely no direction. And we felt that sometimes certain performers were like swimming. They were like, well, I... It, there's, you know, I could do anything and I don't know what to do. So now we are trying more and more to give this, like this menu, this, what we call it, the gangbang menu. <laughs> we give all of these options and we're like, okay, this is all stuff that you could do. But then once it starts, then we don't, we try to be as little intrusive as possible. We actually, we usually shoot with two cameras and we don't stop the performers. And we only communicate if there's something like completely blocking our view. When, and then we try to give like very specific directions. For example, I would be like, Justin, your right arm. 
you know, and I tell them in advance, like when I say your name, don't stop what you're doing. You know, don't turn your head and be like, wow, wow, what Palita, what are you telling me? You know, and, and break the whole magic of the scene. Just keep doing what you're doing. Listen to what I say. Try to understand and do what I'm asking you. So you would go like, imagine that, you know, you're having, this, you would look at your right arm and you would see your right arm and you would see the camera behind it. And you'll be like, okay, yes, I have to move my right arm just to give access to the camera to see the beautiful things that I'm doing. But you would keep on doing what you're doing, right? So that's the way we usually go. Um, but again, we try to like interrupt as little as possible. <laughs> so you kind of let it unfold as one continuous scene, but gently coming in at certain times to give certain directions that might be important. Do you also stop at certain times in the middle? Like if a performer says, hey, I need a break, do you like stop and take a break? And also, you know, how long does a total shoot last? Are you talking about like something that's 15 to 20 minutes or is this more like an hour or two? Like what's the typical shooting time for a film? So because we always let the performers take breaks whenever they want, no reason to ask, like at any point they're very, very welcome and encouraged to ask for a break and ask for whatever they need. If they want to go to the toilet or, or have water or a snack or stretch, you know, whatever it is, they're always welcome to do that. And to not put like time pressure on them. We usually schedule like two to three hours time in the call sheet for the sex scene. Now, usually it doesn't go on. I mean, it definitely does not go on for three hours like continuously. <laughs> the, the usual, I think I would say the average time that we shoot is like an hour up to an hour and a half. Again, because we're shooting group scenes where you have a lot of people, so there's more stuff happening and this tend to get longer. The smaller the group is, like the smaller scenes that we do, which is just a threesome, you know, usually it's maybe would be like, yeah, up to an hour. Only an hour for a threesome. <laughs> Only an hour, yeah. I'm like, does it sound like a lot? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd, I'd be curious for my listeners' take on that, you know, in terms of whether that sounds like a long time or not a long time, and just in terms of like what their perceptions are. Because I think, you know, when people think about porn and what it must be like on a set, you know, people kind of have their own ideas about it, their own mythology about it. But the reality of it is often very different from what people might think. If you ask people to think about how does filming a porn actually work, they might imagine like, well, people just show up, strip down, cameras start rolling, orgasms happen and done. And no, I mean, as you've laid out for us, like this is a much longer, very well thought out process. There are lots of people who are involved in all of this. And that's also part of the reason why porn can be very expensive if you're purchasing ethical porn, because there's a big production team behind it. You want to make sure the performers are being paid appropriately for the work that they're doing. So yeah, it is a big production. But as the director of a porn film, you know, when you're there on set, what kinds of things are you thinking about while filming? We know there's a lot of porn out there that's very utilitarian. You know, they just need to get some penetration on film. They're not telling a story. <laughs> there's no artistic element to it. It's like, I just need a meat shot and that's it. But your approach is very different. You know, you're making feminist porn. You're taking this very cinematic approach to it. So what are you paying attention to? What are you thinking about as the director of one of these films? What's going on in Paulita's head? Fun. I mean, you know what? Actually, a lot of the times what's going on in my head is like, oh, that looks beautiful. <laughs> I think that's one of the sentences that I was thinking when I'm looking at the monitor and I see these bodies like melting into each other and happening. And I'm like, yep, looks good. Beautiful. But I think I try to be all the time very aware of like, where are they going? Like, where are these my performers at? Like, are they, is it feeling, does it feel right? Does it feel like they're connecting? Does it feel like the communication between them is flowing? Does it feel like it, like it feels good? 
You know, I think that is what I'm mostly concerned. Also because I 100% trust the people that I work with camera-wise and I know that I can rely on them to like get really beautiful pictures. Again, mostly I work with Rod, who is my co-director and, and he does, he's a DOP and he's doing the first camera. He's just really, really good at getting really beautiful shots. Sometimes I look at the monitor and I'm like, wow, this looks like a Renaissance painting, you know, with all these like bodies intertwined with each other. But yeah, I would say... I obviously, like I do look at the frame that we're getting and, and thinking like how we're going to edit this afterwards and this is looking good in a cinematic way. And then every time, like I, if I see something that I'm like, oh, you're, miss, you're focusing right on the genitals, but we already had that enough, you're missing this beautiful face, I would talk to camera, to Rod or to whoever is doing camera, being like, can you pan down or up or whatever? <laughs> but mostly during the sex scene, because we also shoot like other stuff, right? Like the non, non, the safer work stuff, like the, whatever the story is before or, or beauty shots or something. And there is way more about the aesthetic and what we're doing. On the sex, I'm really focusing on like, is this looking like people are having a good time? And is there anything that I can give them? You know, if I feel like there's anything off, I'm like, okay, is there anything, any prompt I can give that might help them go to a better place. You know, sometimes I'm like, maybe one of the people is like a bit off and I go to them, I'm like, hey, why don't you, this person said that they love their toes being sucked. Why don't you go there and suck their toes? And then they're like, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, try to to bring everyone in so everyone's well connected and integrated with each other, I guess. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> it does make sense. It sounds like there's a lot of different things that you're thinking about aesthetically, also in terms of is everybody having a good time? You know, you're kind of monitoring the overall situation there and then also thinking about how is this going to be edited? What is the audience going to see? And, you know, it, it's a lot of different things to balance there all at once. So I would imagine it's a more mentally taxing job than most people might think that it is. And, you know, that feeds into my next question. You know, I think there's this sort of common misconception out there that everybody on a porn set, including the directors and the camera people, they're all super horny, you know, because they're watching some really hot action and everybody's just like constantly turned on. And, you know, that's like all they're thinking about is their own arousal. So, you know, is it an arousing experience or do you become desensitized to it because you have a job to do and you're trying to balance like the aesthetics and, you know, making sure everybody's having a good time and all of that? What is that experience like? You know what's funny? I, because I work also in non-pornographic film, like in mainstream films, I tend to bring a lot of people from the film industry into the porn industry. <laughs> and often they're a bit, you know, nervous maybe. And they do tell me like, oh, I, I don't know if I'm going to be like, yeah, that's just exactly the question that arises for them. It's like, oh, am I going to get horny? Am I going to be able to do my job? And literally everyone I've worked with at the end of the day, I've asked them, okay, how was it for you? And they're like, dude, I was literally doing my job. It was the same thing. Just like people were fucking in front of me, but... <laughs> You know, it's it's the same. It's film. Like porn is film. If you're working with film people, it's literally the same. And no, you are focused on your job and, you know, and doing a good job, whatever it is, if it's sound, if it's costume, if it's camera. I think it's not often that the horniness like overcomes you and you're like, and that takes like a bigger space. I mean, for all transparency and honesty here, like I have moments where I'm like, you know, think, looking at the monitor, thinking about all of these things. Is everyone okay? How is that looking? Can we edit these two cameras? Are we getting the right, is it the light thing? Is the sound okay? But, and then there's a moment where I'm like, oh, it's really hot. But it's like a, it's more of a second thought, you know? And there might be a moment where I'm like, hmm, this turns me on. <laughs> but it's like, it's secondary. Like it's not, 
where my main focus is. You talked about being desensitized. Um, I think it sounds somewhat negative. I do think you get used to it. And then, you know, the f- I think the very first time that you see a gangbang, it's kind of like an interesting experience and you might be surprised or amazed or whatever. Uh, and, you know, the, after you've seen like 15 of them, it becomes something that is not surprising you. But I don't see it. Again, I wouldn't use that word because I don't think it's a negative experience. I think you start seeing deeper, you know, like I, the, the more I'm used to see what is the dynamic between people in a group sex scenes, the more details I start to see. It keeps getting interesting in that way that I'm like, ooh, ah, look how, look how he sneakily grabbed the loop there. He was ready. And I'm like, ah, well done there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, it's a difficult question. I, I obviously only can answer it from a subjective perspective from mine. I, summarizing, I would say horniness is definitely not the number one focus of anyone working on a porn set behind the camera. We're all there doing our jobs and doing it in the best of our capacities. But you do gain a lot of experience through watching people fucking so often. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. And I I appreciate you explaining all of that. And I didn't mean to use desensitization in uh, a negative way there, just simply to mean that the initial novelty of it has kind of like worn off because I'm sure the very first time anybody's on a porn set, you know, it might be titillating as soon as the cameras start rolling, but the focus then shifts to what it is that you're actually working on. And so it just becomes a very different experience the more experience you have in that industry. So what happens after the filming of a scene is done? You know, what does aftercare look like in the world of porn? So aftercare in terms of the performers aftercare is of course checking on them if everything's good, they get food, they get shower, um, you know, they get everything they ask for in advance. If they were like, I really wish for, you know, some people are like, I really want to have a matte lemonade afterwards and we'll have that ready for them. <laughs> and uh, what we do is two to three days after the shoot, we send them, the intimacy coordinator sends them a survey so that they, you know, they can sometimes everything feels good. And then like you sleep over it. And for some reason, two days later, there's something that does not quite feel as good anymore for, there might be like a thousand million reasons for this. Right. And it doesn't have to do with anyone like having bad intentions or anyone doing anything wrong, but just like your personal journey. So what we do is like, yeah, two to three days after the shoot, we send a survey where we, you know, ask about several things, like checking that everything was fine. And we encourage them if there's anything else that they want to talk about, that they can reach out again to the intimacy coordinator or to me or to whoever they feel most comfortable uh, with addressing whatever issue there was or whatever it is they want to talk about. Yeah. And then in terms of the film, what we do is we have quite a big post-production, which is not necessarily something that all porn production companies have. Some products will be more like, okay, you have the camera and you try to have it as steady as possible throughout the shoot. And then you just edit out whatever is shaky, basically. We do a lot of editing. Like our films have a lot of editing. They have color correction. They have a sound mix. We mostly, we even do specific soundtracks. Like we have musicians that do soundtracks to the film. Yeah, we do like beautiful credits and, and whatnot. So there's a long, like there's a longer post-production time that we spend on making these films, like each of them, like a unique film aesthetic experience. Yeah. So 
There is so much that goes into any one film, you know, beginning, during filming, afterwards. It is a whole big production. So I appreciate you walking us through all of that. Now, just a couple of other quick questions for you, since I know we're running short of time. But you're someone who has experience as both a performer and a director in adult films. So how does the experience of having been a performer impact the work that you do as a director? Has that shaped the way that you approach films at all? Absolutely. I would say it has. I love performing and it's something that I wouldn't want to miss. I think the experience of being in front of the camera and performing really gives you, you know, a lot of information as in what you might need and how you might feel, what might make it easier for you to ask for what you need and so on and so forth. However, at the same time, everyone's different. So my experience, obviously it's very different from other people's experiences. I think my experience helps me be more, again, more aware and, and tuned in with the performance in front of the camera. But also that doesn't mean that I don't need to like double check and check with people individually, like what are their specific needs and wishes. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Now, one last question for you. What is your favorite part of making adult films and what is your least favorite part? What's the good, bad and ugly of working in this industry? Ooh, the good, bad, and ugly. So I think I have two favorite parts. One is the actual shooting of the scene, including the performer's talk. Because I think it's such a, that's the, like, for me, the most like creative and beautiful process is like having these conversations and then making it, seeing it happening in front of the camera. And then the screening. I really love to do in real life screenings where people come together in a cinema or in another location to watch the films. Because I love watching porn together with other people, not for masturbating, but just to watch it. Those are the things that give me, bring me most joy. I would say the ugly and the bad is really the way people misunderstand what I do, all the prejudice and stigma. And I mean, I'm very privileged, of course, because of who I am, my profile, my background and my position in life and all of this. So you know, there's way many more sex workers facing way harder challenges and, and life situations and discrimination than I do, obviously. But still, like this constant having to fight for and explaining people what you do. Like just to give a, a maybe a silly example, but I think it exemplifies, like I call 10 locations to ask if we can shoot there. And nine out of those 10 locations in Berlin, I don't want to even imagine in other places, they tell me upfront, no way. There's no way you're shooting porn here. And this is not like private houses of people, which, you know, I get not everyone would want to have that in their own living room, but I'm talking about film studios that are literally just, you know, blank <laughs> room. And it's just, you know, the way people talk about it and the way they would be like, oh my God, no. Or the, or the questions people would ask, they're just so ignorant, but also so res like not respectful. It's just so saddening to me, like the ideas that people have around it. And then, you know, the finding a location is maybe silly, but I think one of the most sad things that I encounter is all of these people on social media or in, in conversations that come to me with preconceived ideas of like how wrong porn is and how people are mistreated. And, you know, they will tell me like most of porn sets, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, how do you know? How, why do you think, you know, like, <laughs> like you have no idea and they are so sure about it. They're like, and I'm the liar, you know, and I'm like, I don't know, exploitative trafficking person. I don't know. I've been called so many absurd things, but it does sadden me that people have this prejudice because of what it means in terms of like what politics are being done and how that affects, 
you know, all of our lives, specifically, you know, all of sex workers' lives. Yeah, you know, I've asked similar questions to a lot of sex workers in the courses that I teach. And, you know, whenever you ask about what they like about the job, what they don't like about the job, the number one thing that they don't like is the stigma. You know, that's something that every sex worker, no matter how they're doing their work, experiences because there just is that strong bias, stigma, whatever it is that you want to call it that exists. And the way that they're treated by other people in society is often very negative. And even when you're looking at very sex positive cultures, like I teach my study abroad courses in Amsterdam and Berlin, which are two of the most sex positive places you can imagine, you know, that stigma still exists there. And it's surprising to a lot of people, you know, that Sexual attitudes, even in these very sex-positive cultures, are more conservative in a lot of ways than people might expect. So even though there might be the big sex clubs and other things like that, and people talk more openly about sex, it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is sex-positive, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they have positive attitudes toward porn or toward sex work. Unfortunately. I wish there was this like completely <laughs> paradise of like sex positive, the sex positive city. <laughs> Join us. <laughs> I hope there will be one day, you know, maybe we get to see it. <laughs> maybe one day. But thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Paulita. It was truly a pleasure to have you here and to learn more about your work. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and what you do? Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast and everything you do. It's really an honor. And um, yeah, anyone can find me on my website, paulitapapel.com and on social and Instagram and Twitter, it's paulitapapel. Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. 